Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, and today I'm thrilled to share one of our recent Firebird Book Award winners. He is Michael Cafino, and his book is titled Truth is in the House. Before becoming a full-time author, ghostwriter, editor, and writing coach, Michael had two parallel careers. One was in the courtroom as a business litigation and trial attorney where he delighted in the art of legal writing and advocacy storytelling for clients. The other was in the gymnasium as a basketball coach, primarily at the high school level. And I know there's so much more to find out, so we will. I'm looking forward to it. Welcome to the network, Michael. Thank you. I'm happy to have you here. Before we begin with your book, I want to say that I love that you delighted in advocacy storytelling for clients. To me, that would be the hallmark of a winning trial attorney. Well, I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, on the litigation side, it's all about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a persuasive art. It, you know, I mean, it's not as emotive necessarily as fiction, but, it, you know, you, you're telling stories to connect decision makers, whether they're juries or judges or arbitrators, with your client. I mean, you want a human connection, but you, but you also want them to understand how they see the world. Mm-hmm. And you need to do that through storytelling. So I, I think, you know, I mean, there are many skills that go into trial attorney work, but storytelling is, is, is a primary one. I agree. I just like the way you put the words together, advocacy, storytelling for clients. That just, that kind of hit me when I read that. I thought, oh, I have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, congratulations on the book win. I'm not a judge. So when I found out, I was very happy for you. Thank you. I, mean, I was I was very pleased to get recognized so so. Diversely, too. Yep. Diversely. Well, you're diverse. That's why. Well, you've because you've also written in several other genres, especially those that are sports have a sports related theme. You know, when I stopped coaching uh, basketball, I, you know, I wanted to give back in a, in a different way. Of course, I was in a writing career by then, and so um, I have two books on basketball um, and one on high school athletics, which is was really the major book. Um, it's more of an advocacy tome on the importance of high school athletics in terms of its relationship uh, to adulthood and skill development and value development and that sort of thing. I was just thinking about athletics. Even for young children, I have a, a little um, seven-year-old grandson who's switching schools, and I was thinking, wow, how hard that is for a little person to go to a completely different school, but then he's playing soccer on two different teams, and sports then really helps to, I don't know, bring about those relationships a whole lot quicker than if you didn't have that in, in your repertoire, I guess. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, it's it's a it's a social glue. It's community-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more importantly um, is that if athletic programs are developed from a value-based perspective, that Everything you do, obviously, you know, you compete, you want to win games, and you want people to be skilled, but the foundation for programs is really value-based, and one of those values has to be has to do with empathy and how you communicate and deal with others, the role you play on a team, mm-hmm. which is not going to be any different than roles you play later in life, you know, and, and work in, in community-based activities. So right, right. it's really an essential um, educational tool. I agree. There's a lot of transfer value in sports, especially at a younger age. Might have to talk about some of those books later on. But right now, I want for you to give us a peek into the book, Truth is in the House. Give us a little teaser there. 
You know, the book, uh, it, it didn't start out the way it wound up. I, I originally was going to write, I wanted to write a, a work of fiction that celebrated my upbringing in the Bronx. I wanted to talk about, you know, the subculture we developed, you know, how we kind of built our own community, um, sort of untethered from school and other institutions. And But when I started interviewing childhood friends, um, I actually started interviewing two guys who I hadn't seen in 50 years who I had connected with on Facebook. I learned about this twin homicide that had occurred in the neighborhood when I was in the army um, as a result of a racial confrontation at a bar uh, in the neighborhood. And I was completely captivated by it. I hadn't known about it. I knew two, I knew the two kids who were killed. Um, you know, it was now 50 years later and I was, and I became really immersed in it. And I, so I started to go down a race path. Um, found another uh, tragedy that occurred not far from the neighborhood uh, having to do with gangs, uh, also over racial turf. And I said, okay, I'm going to write a different book. And I, I was still going to talk about my neighborhood. I was going to center the book in my neighborhood. Um, I was going to try and bring out some of the cultural qualities of the neighborhood, but it was now going to be from the perspective of racial relationships on the ground. Not systemic stuff, not institutional infrastructure, but I developed two characters, one white, one black, and they were going to be sort of the vehicles or the metaphors, really, for the this discussion in the book, the narrative about race. And that, that's, that's kind of how it happened. Did you find that you had to do much research? How did you get and gather background material? It's a great question. I, I wound up doing an enormous amount of research. Um, I read, I can't even tell you how many books I read, videos I watched, documentaries I watched, YouTube stuff. Uh, I interviewed 30 people you know, in, in a variety of contexts because every scene in the book, there are a lot, there's a lot of true events in the book. There's, um, I mean, some of it's whole cloth creation. I just created scenes, but there's a fair amount of historical stuff in the book that's actual events that's fictionalized. But the one thing I was really concerned about um, was making sure that readers didn't have to suspend belief. That and so I researched the hell out of everything, and um, um, down to things like uh, you know how emergency rooms handled situations in the 50s, and uh, what it's like to hunt for rabbits. I've got a rabbit hunting thing in there um, that's relative to the development of one of the main characters. You know, so I had to find people who, who hunted rabbits. Oh, I didn't wow. know anyone life <laughs> And that's so, so I did a, I did a lot of research, uh, read a lot of books, like I said, and reached out to as many people as I could. The one thing I am proud about, I, should, I can, you know, I don't mind saying, is that there were so many events in that book that uh, that didn't connect to uh, any of the others in real life, but I was, but I put them all together as one single narrative, mm-hmm. and that was the real big challenge of writing the book was to keep a consistent historical theme running. Mm-hmm on the matter of race and, and individual relationships using all these different actual events um, that I fictionalized. And that was a challenge, but it was probably the thing I'm most proud about in terms of putting it together. Oh, wow. I that's fascinating. That's well. fascinating. Yeah. You had to do all of this research. I'm sure you learned things that you didn't know, not right. just about rabbits, but race relations specifically. I'm sure there were things that you hadn't thought about growing up. It was just part of life. How did it change you? 
You know, that's an interesting question because one of the things I delighted in really, and I didn't really understand that this was going to happen, was my relationship with the characters. The author, even though there's some autobiographical stuff in there in terms of things that happened to me in my life, but also my perspectives on, on life. But for the most part, you know, all the characters, you know, I created parts of myself, but I had to understand them. I had to see the world from their eyes, even the ones that, that you know, I mean, there are characters in the book that you're going to hate, that you're going to not like or despise. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday who actually who I grew up with, I hadn't seen him in 50 years. He called me out of the blue and he was saying, he, he was saying how much he hated one of the characters and he was glad that you know, something bad happened to him, you know. <laughs> um, and that's a reaction that, that I like because, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to like characters to to be moved by the writing about them. So that was an interesting personal thing that happened that I didn't anticipate. But the other thing which was more important was, and this is what I really hope that readers take away from the book, is that it forced a lot of introspection mm-hmm. about how we each have unconscious bias and some worse, some conscious bias, but that racial bias exists in all of us. Um, you can't be in a culture like ours and not be affected by it. And that's the one thing that I constantly sort of came back to writing the book both personally in terms of my characters is, is you know, it's there. It doesn't mean it's malevolent. It doesn't mean you're bad. Uh, it means you've just been impacted by the culture in which you were raised and, 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 and where you developed. And it's really important to understand that, to be honest about it, not to fear it, uh, embrace it, understand it, and ha- and allow it to help you deal with people on a better level mm-hmm. with more empathy and understanding. And I think that's the personal part that um, I would hope that readers come away with, but it's also what I think really impacted me as well. Right, right. Very, very interesting how writing is such, um, oh, I don't know, it's it's very personal. You learn so much. It's often very cathartic. There's just a whole lot to it that's not just writing for an audience. You're mostly writing for yourself. Well, I mean, that's what writing is. At the end of the day, it's going home to yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I'm reading a book on writing now that talks about that extensively, about how, you know, it's all about you and who you are and how you see the world and yourself, and you should embrace that. I mean, obviously, if you go beyond that in your writing, but um, but that's your base. Right. And, and the more you write, particularly in fiction, and the more characters you create, the, more, the better you understand who you are. Absolutely, which makes me think about one of the other aspects of your work where you offer services such as memoir and legacy writing. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about looking inwards and, and uh, reflecting on your life. And often I've talked to so many folks who have written memoirs. When they're done, they wish they had done it earlier because it put a lot of pain in perspective. Well, you know, I didn't really plan to get into memoir writing. It happened uh, by chance, but I've embraced it. Now it's a regular thing I do. But you're right, even probably more than fiction in some ways. One thing about memoir writing, I mean, is that you, you have to travel with your client into some places that are dark and mm-hmm. difficult, and you can't help but get changed by it. You just can't. And you're a professional. You're trying to give, you know, expression to their voice. You have to be mindful of that, but you also can't avoid the engagement you have with them emotionally. Um, it's important to go there with them. You don't, have, you don't get to stay there very long because you do have to put it 
together for them. But you have to go there to, to, to see it, to experience it, to feel it, and to be able to express it well. And I, every memoir I've written for someone uh, I've, it's, has changed me in some way. Uh, and um, some more than others. I mean, I've had I've been with clients who have cried every session, um, or at least frequently. And um, you know, it's 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 tough, but it's but it's a great reward to write memoir for people and tell their stories. Oh my! The person has the opportunity to dwell in that and live in that and maybe come out of it at the other end. But you, as the person who's helping them writing, like you said, you don't get to spend much time. You've got to listen to it, kind of absorb it and be able to put it on paper. But you never really have that opportunity to come to terms with it. Well, you know, I'm working on one now with someone, two women, actually. I can't get into the details, but there are times when I have to catch my breath. Mm -hmm. It is such a powerful story about abuse. Wow. Um, in relationships, and I'm just like, you know, every several pages, I got to like just, you know, kind of sit back a little and take a breather. Yeah. And so, you know, and it, you know, it triggers a whole array of emotion, you know, empathy, and, uh, compassion, and anger, and, and and you know, wanting to reach out and either comfort them or, or strike yes. the abuser, right? Yep. Um, you can't avoid that. Um, it's it's a teaching tool, uh, but as you point out, you, you have to you have to put it aside at some point and be able and to get into the professional right. aspect of what you've been asked to do. But you, but you you shouldn't avoid that. You have to embrace it. Oh sure. You have to go there with them yep. uh, and just be able to get out at the right time mm -hmm. so you can move on. Writing. Yeah. Wow. You need to add therapists to your um, resume. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? What books are you working on now other than the memoirs for others? It's an interesting question because I've been back and forth on what to do next. And I just thought I have another novel that I have two novels that I want to write, but one I just started a few weeks back. Um, I'm just in the first chapter. I'm not entirely clear where it's going to go. Um, it's based on a true story that happened to me years back. It has to do, I mean, the, the medium is, is, is a very expensive hitchhiking trip. Mm. Um, and um, so that's kind of the next <laughs> you know, major project that's underway. I'm also studying the, the screenplays. And so I think I'm going to write a screenplay based on Truthers in the House mm -hmm. um, over the next several months. I mean, I'm not quite ready to start yet. I'm doing my homework. Right, right. It's percolating. Uh, a number of resources. But that's, I think, the new novel and the screenplay are the next best, the next up in my, uh, my calendar here. How exciting. You're such a fascinating and multi-talented person. It's it's good to be able to have this opportunity to talk with you. And I want to make sure we haven't missed anything that you wanted to bring up today. I, I No, I don't think so. I think the point we were getting into earlier is the one thing, I just hope that, I mean, obviously I want my book to entertain. I want people to be engaged by the drama, the tension, you know, the narrative flow and all those things and, you know, and, and sort of engage the main, two main characters, especially. I mean, there are a lot of cameos and supporting characters in the book. Obviously, you know, as a writer, you want people to be entertained, but I think I do want, I'm hoping that readers on a personal level, you know, step back and take a long look at who they are in terms of how they relate uh, to other people in, in racial context. But the, the one thing I wanted to do once I found out where I was headed with the book was 
to provide a, a slightly different perspective than the current narrative we're, we're getting on, mm-hmm. on the subject of race. You know, as a white guy writing about race, I knew, you know, some people might think I was treading on thin ice, but, you know, my, my perspective is not to speak for any particular race, but really to provide a human narrative about how we connect with people and how we relate to them day to day, you know, in our everyday lives. And so I'm hoping that readers will come away with a sense of renewal and, and rebirth in terms of their own perspectives about themselves and how they relate to people in, this, in the context of race. Oh, I like that, Michael, especially, as you say, during these times when we're kind of being pushed in directions where we don't necessarily need to be. So I think your book, Truth is in the House, will be very, very helpful to your readers. Thank you for mentioning that. Also, if you would, share any contact information. So where can folks purchase your book, find out more about you, your services? Well, I have a website. Um, it's michaelcafina.com. Um, so people can check out you know, my work there and my services. And my email address, I'm ho- always up for hearing from people. Um, I tend to be pretty responsive. And that's just michael at michaelcafino.com. So that's easy. In terms of the book, I mean, the usual suspects are there, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. But, you know, I, I urge people to support their local independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't have the book in stock, to get it. Uh, and, and, and service them. You know, I think that's. I'd love to see people supporting their neighborhood bookstores. So, but yeah, you, know, you can always get it through the usual suspects. As I like to say. <laughs> Actually, makes me laugh because I say the same thing. That's very, very funny. <laughs> the usual suspects. All right, it's Michael Cofino. The title of the book is "Truth Is in the House." What a pleasure to have this conversation with you today. I hope you continue to share your work with us so that you and I can talk more often. Thank you so much for right, today. Well, Thanks for having me, Pat. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.